Welcome to Riverdale. Woo, shit. Episode 3. <laughs> Welcome to Riverdale. Uh, explores the weekly shenanigans and hijinks of the newly rebooted, I got it right this time, rebooted Archieverse. Um, this is a Carefree Black Nerd review show. Episode 3, Body Double. Um, and I don't know what to say, but shit is getting real. Um, this has to be my favorite episode so far. Like, straight up. (laughs) They gotta top this. The only way they're gonna top this is when we find out who damn killed Jason. (laughs) Um, for starters, Jughead is still writing that damn novel. Uh, um, let me see. Um, oh, and like I said, I feel very much vindicated because I said Cheryl didn't kill that damn boy. I know for a fact she didn't kill her twin. Um, she came clean in Weatherby's office, um, after last episode when she confessed to, um, being guilty but not to actually killing Jason. Um, much like I said, she didn't kill him. She, um, just admitted to lying about when or about the events of July 4th which is um that they both Jason and Cheryl had an agreement that Jason would leave Riverdale and uh Sheriff Keller's like why which makes perfect sense he wanted to leave and he wanted to fake an accident so that his parents would have come looking for him Keller asks why isn't that pretty cruel? Cheryl's like, no, nah, that ain't cruel. My brother's not a bad person, blah, 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 yada, yada, whatever. But I'm kind of with, um, not kind of, I am very much with Sheriff Keller at this point because y'all being, I think they're seniors this year, so about 17, going on 18-ish. What is going on at your house or what is going on in your life that is making you so desperate to leave your very own like parents and it didn't explicitly say he um was leaving his parents it just said that Cheryl just said that he didn't want their parents to go after them to go after him so for me I'm kind of trying to focus more on how things are said and the wording that is used because like we found out in the last episode Cheryl confessed to being guilty but she did not confess to killing Jason I called it Yes, I did. I'm feeling good about that. So when um, I don't even want to assume it's something with the parents. I want to assume that because they have so much money and that that's their child, it's common sense that they would go looking for him if he just ran away. Whereas if he faked his own death, then they wouldn't go after him. And the agreement was for him to reach out to Cheryl once he was somewhere safe and... um she said it would be no longer than a month well after his body washed up after a week i think i missed something between the last episode and this episode because someone mentioned that um i think it was betty who mentioned that jason's body was frozen and so i'm thinking was like put in a freezer or something because of the autopsy report so maybe i'm missing something or i don't know but apparently he was stored somewhere for a while and then shot or vice versa but um which no he had to be shot then stored i would imagine well 
the wording that Cheryl used with him trying to go away so that his parents can't reach them, reach him, leads me to believe that he was running away with Polly. Whatever the hell is going on with them, uh, I would imagine since Mommy Dearest, aka Alice, is her name, has so much disdain for the blossoms and for their wealth and for their lifestyle that the ideas are returned tenfold from the blossoms to the coopers so my prediction right now is that um they didn't approve of polly and especially <clears throat> i would imagine hmm, stereotypically or tropely speaking the blossoms being wealthy people um wouldn't want their son in this small town to be hanging out with this girl who doesn't come from money on top of that whatever happened in their relationship drove her crazy and she's in a mental institution well that's two strikes against her you're poor and there's by their standards and you're unstable you know and so i don't know there's something going on there that has yet to be discovered but i am ready for it um the other thing that kind of threw me for a loop is that we discovered that the gunshot that archie and grundy heard in the um at the river's edge was also heard by Jason and Cheryl so we know that that particular gunshot didn't kill him which is another something I was confused about last episode because um, they were saying that and maybe I just am not quick enough to make the connection but it was said that he was killed or he went missing on July 4th and then the autopsy report came back which said it was like a, a week later on the 11th actually and so the gunshot it was clear that it didn't line up, but it wasn't clear for me. Uh, I don't know. Anybody who see what I'm missing and can explain it to me, please tweet me at carefreeblurred or Instagram at carefreeblacknerd or whatever, because I've I've missed something. Um, let's see. So they're interrogating Cheryl, and this is right after they've arrested her reporter from science class, <laughs> the only class that anyone goes to at this school. And... Um, then Carol, Carol, I don't know why I call her Carol, Alice, Mommy Dearest, um, she's the one who leaked Jason's autopsy report, I guess that's what she was paying the, um, the, um, coroner for, and I thought she was paying just to see him and then get the details, but she leaked them because she's a horrible journalist, or maybe she's a good journalist, because, like she said, um, she said, um, you know, Riverdale needs to know, you know, uh, what she said last episode, um, a drowning is boring, but, um, a, a murder of a teenage socialite or something, that's front page news or something, some shit she said, um, but yeah, she, um, this episode proved to me that I, <laughs> I was riding with Mommy Dearest for the first couple, but I can't, I can't rock with her no more, this motherfucker is, <laughs> she is something else like i was kind of able to overlook her issues with her relationship with betty because she's a mother who has already had one daughter go down a road she did not plan for but this this lady is wild she is bitter she is angry and it might be justified it might come out later that it's justified but even if the anger is justified right now you're not being painted in the best light and the shit she's doing and saying is completely disgusting and atrocious if this was real life, she'd be Nancy Grace. <laughs> um, but no, so um, Betty, um, Betty kind of 
cuts it to her mom like you know what are you doing like don't sensationalize this death yes this is a small town but this was a person yes him and Polly had a horrible relationship but he was a person what are you doing and the line that her mama gave her that I really thought was funny was um, <laughs> uh, well if you feel so strongly about it why don't you come work for us uh, we could use the lowest lane type at the uh, at the paper or news station or wherever the hell she work at um, I thought that was interesting that cross reference of uh, comic book properties <laughs> so in this world the Superman DC universe is fiction and I wonder if anyone in the DC universe reads Archie comics that'd be interesting to find out um, but I thought this was interesting this scene in particular and her saying that to her daughter because she has been stressing for the last two episodes how she wants her to be better than Polly and better than she was before and go off to college and do great things but every time Betty turns around and tries to does, do something like become a cheerleader or like do extracurricular stuff she gets shot down by her mom and I don't know if this was just said in jest like oh it was you know hyperbole or if she literally meant come work for us but the very mention of it seems to go against everything and all the plans that she had for Betty to begin with so this is where I'm kind of losing my kind of uh what is it my my alignment with mommy dearest because she is wild I don't, and I guess that makes for a good character because I don't hate her I definitely don't love her but I was seeing her point of view and now she's she's losing me so good job writers and good job actors because I don't I don't know if I can fuck with mommy dearest anymore um let's see uh so Archie dumbass goes and confesses to hearing the gunshot after um Cheryl leaves from confessing the same it, not immediately after but he's like yeah you know people are saying she heard a gunshot but I did too and so <laughs> Weatherby because he's only in two episodes this season um I guess he was just gonna make the most of all his scenes but he does this look up at Sheriff Keller which is like <laughs> like I knew this motherfucker was lying and it's like what that isn't earned to me where did that come from because this boy walked past your office in the last episode and looked in while you all were giving an announcement about the pep rally like how <laughs> that <laughs> I get it is what I actually I should just overlook it anyways because this is much like comics where hell we need these five people to defeat this army well we didn't know this person has a hidden power where he can kill everybody if he blink hard enough it's ridiculous it moves the story further it leaves gaps in logic but hell this is fiction so forget it but i thought that was so strange that this one episode you're accusing him of knowing something about a murder when there was nothing that pointed to Archie to begin with. He's only even being interviewed because he confessed himself. He walked into the office, but whatever. Um, they asked him if he was alone. He says, no, I was with my dog Vegas. Of course, he doesn't include Grundy, which is, oh, he's the, the sweet good guy who wants to continue fucking his teacher. So he's going to leave her out of the story so she doesn't get caught, which is okay that's cute I guess uh, <laughs> then um, I don't know um, and then Chuck the black guy who uh, Valerie um, Veronica was sitting on his lap last episode when Reggie went on his freaking tirade about accusing everybody of killing Jason uh, he's in this episode and he's actually only um, in two episodes of this 
season, which is, oh, man, he's, I don't know. He um, looks like Nelly, um, but he's the black guy from the Drumline movie. What is it? A new, a new beat? The like made-for-TV movie that Latoya Luckett was in, um, and Homegirl Alexandra Ship. Um, he played the superstars, bad boy son, uh, whatever, it's irrelevant, but he looks very different in Riverdale than he did in that movie, um, so yeah, they, um, let me see, why didn't you want to, okay, so Veronica says that she's going on a date with Chuck, and in my mind, when you're friends with someone, you kind of give them a heads up on things that could be detrimental to them, bad things, things that could hurt them. Well, Betty did speak up, and she was like, well, you know, Chuck's considered a player, which could have been very superficial, like, you know, he's dated a couple girls. She steamrolled, however, by Kevin, who's like, oh, he is the sexiest boy in school, and he is the, um, he's like dating a Kennedy, and and I was like, okay, hold up. Clearly, this guy is bad news. It's not clear, but clearly he has a reputation. Betty is warning her friend in that shy, low voice that she does with everything in her goddamn life. And Kevin, which this is a problem I have with him, is that just last episode, it was Archie who had the hottest body that no straight man could have. Then before that, it was, oh, I'm dealing with Moose, and he has a huge penis, and he's down low, and, but he has a nice body, and then now it's, um, Chuck is an Adonis, or he's a Kennedy, it's like, oh, this, it's, I feel like they're just sliding in these lines, I'll chalk it up to being a teenager, and just being attracted to people, and be you gay, straight, pansexual, bisexual, whatever, when you're attracted to different people, everybody your hormones get going so i'll chalk it up to that but it's like god damn it this man acts as if everybody every male on this show doesn't have the exact same body with the different variations of being slightly taller or slightly shorter (laughs) so that was ridiculous but my main gripe was that is that it turns out that chuck is not such a good guy but hell nobody actually went and did the extra work to protect veronica She's already proven herself at being a good friend. You all have accepted her back into the fold. Like, is this some hazing ritual? Like, if you know what this guy does to girls, and you allow your new friend who doesn't know anything about this city to go on a date with him, knowing what he's probably going to do because the probability of him being consistent like he's been with everybody else, that just that, that burned me up. Once everything came out, which is that Veronica went on a date with Chuck, they, of course... Went to the only other set on this show, Chocks Pop Chocks Pop's Chocolate Shop, and they sat in his car and they giggled and laughed and flirted. And she told him she vetted him, and you know he snapped a selfie, and then they got the making out. Well, it comes out later on that it's insinuated because this show is so it toes the line of nostalgia Archie and like current modern day like suspense teen drama but it doesn't go that extra mile with sex and things sex related like um it's insinuated from his instagram post that they had sex and he says that she's like not virgin territory he doesn't explicitly say you're not a virgin well the selfie that he took they put some brown 
syrup looking stuff on her face and it's called getting a uh what is it a maple something and i'm like are y'all just trying to make sure you're not explicitly talking about like semen and penises and vaginas and showing sexual activity which is i don't know it's strange but this storyline this arc or whatever goes from that to um her finding out because this generic version of mean girls that keeps popping up and harassing everybody asks her about it they show her the picture she acts a fool and she's like oh, i'm gonna get this motherfucker back uh veronica and betty bust into the men's locker room archie of course thinking everything is about him he stops them like oh oh you girls can't be here or what are you doing here well their response is sit your ass down nigga we got some shit to do so um they go after chuck and like you know this ain't gonna fly he cut into her basically uh, and i don't want to shy away from this like it's not an important topic but um he slut shames her and does it in a way that makes everyone think he slept with her well it comes out later he did the same thing with ethel the quote-unquote big girl at school who was a regular damn size for a girl everybody else is just a size zero walking around this school as if that's realistic um well, she helped him in the library with a book. He studied with her for an hour or so. Came back the next day to school saying that he slept with her. Um, I have... I take issue with this being the black character who they make front and center. But... With this show, you have to suspend belief and kind of... I guess take it as is. That's my own personal thing. Other people may not have had an issue with that, but I do... Um, with that dynamic of this aggressive black man and his lying on um different white women that just didn't rub me the right way nevertheless the slut shaming thing is a real issue and it was um a very bad look um to say the least and so eventually they hatch a plan where um they want to get back at him but before i go too too much further um archie first of all they use the same shot which is not unheard of but they use the same school shot from the very beginning of the first episode like every time they want to as the establishing shot for the school i only noticed this because again me with my eyes and my mindset i i noticed pretty much every person of color on this show in the bottom right hand of the screen there is a black girl a brown skinned girl with long hair and a pink sweater and I see her every time, and I was thinking like, no, they know, <laughs> they know they could have shot, I guess they didn't want to shoot a couple extra scenes, hell, if that would work for you, but I keep seeing that same girl at the bottom of the screen, and she doesn't show up anywhere else in this school, <laughs> but they keep using that same damn establishing shot, um, let's see, so, we go through, and Archie is sneaking in and out the house, we've already established he's been doing that since he was eight, I don't know why his dad don't put metal bars on the windows or anything but um him and his dad get into it because he's like well why the hell first and foremost motherfucker the fourth of july you were supposed to be on a road trip with jughead now come to find out from the sheriff in this small ass town that you confessed to being at the river's edge playing music and you heard a gunshot which i am I'm on Archie's team because it's like, oh, I'm an artist. Be creative. Do your own thing. But at the same time, mm, that seems like something you would want to do. I forget that these are even damn kids because they look so damn grown. And then they show up at school 
just walking around, coming in and out of that one science class and lunch and cheerleading practice, carrying these big-ass purses, got these grown men bodies, looking like full-grown adults. I forget that these are children, so it didn't even strike me as weird that both Cheryl and Archie sat down to talk about what happened at the river without their parents. But um, that's what his dad was cutting it to him for. He's like, man you're my child we could have went together but whatever and he's like well no it's the right thing to do some dumb shit but again he is a kid so maybe but i know my black ass if this if i was in archie's position grundy aside and i heard a gunshot i'm telling my mom and my daddy first and we going to figure this out as a unit because there's no way you're gonna have me sit down with this sheriff and him question me like no mm -mm. Even if this is a small town. So, um, so he doesn't throw Grundy under the bus. He says it's just him there, him and his dog playing music. Um, and then Betty, inspired by her mom, decides to bring back the blue and gold, which is apparently Riverdale High School's, um, newspaper. And I was looking at this, and it's like, it goes in line with the Archie comics, where every other issue they're doing some fantastical shit, starting a newspaper, going on a yacht somewhere, then it's summer break, then they're in school, then it's summer break again. It's all, it's never consistent. But I was just thinking, how in the hell is Betty able to just start this newspaper up again on her damn own? There was no scene where she got permission, where she submitted an application. She just held up in a room and uh, decided to start the paper so she um has Jughead come to help her because everyone knows now that he's writing a novel about um Jason being murdered and that's like nobody's really addressing that I I would think that the Blossoms would come to him and you know take up issue with it but apparently not at least Cheryl if no one else um but she's like, yeah, I want you to get to the bottom of this story. He reluctantly agrees and uh, goes to see the only other person who we know um, was at the River's Edge, which is Dilton Doily, with his little nerdy self, at his little scout, Eagle Scout, Boy Scout troop meeting or whatever, where he's like the leader. Um, and he cut into him like, no, nah, you know, the sheriff already asked me. I don't know nothing about that shit. So, uh, Jughead sees the uh, little brown boy who um is visibly nervous um later on he meets him at the chocolate shop where everybody else goes and um kind of interrogates him and which i notice is that <laughs> here on riverdale all of the fringe characters who won't show up that much or who's visible enough in one or two scenes are black <laughs> and there's not really complaining to do about that but it's just interesting that the mayor who only shows up in two episodes the football coach the um the principal who shows up in two episodes the little eagle scout who shows up in just a few they're all black it's enough to get that color in there but it does come off as real it's just odd um but the boy confessed to him like look Dilton is crazy as hell. Like, we in this Eagle Scouts, and I want to say that the boy, like the Eagle Scouts themselves, are supposed to be like maybe middle school students, maybe freshmen in high school. I can't really tell because this boy does look like a high school student, but in this world, him looking like a high school student might make him middle school. I don't know. It really doesn't matter, but it's kind of a gray area because they look as old as Dilton who looks as old as the rest of the high school students who look as old as the adults <laughs> so 
everybody's 25 on this show <laughs> but um he says yeah that gunshot you heard that was dilton which my mouth was open right there D dilton is the one that shot that shot so uh whew, i don't know he was teaching the kids how to you know protect themselves by whatever and um and so that gets back to dilton um through Jughead. he's like look i talked to you one of your little people you you lied you fucking up what's going on either you tell me the story so i can put it in the paper or you go to the sheriff either way but i'm gonna give you 24 hours and i was like shit jughead is my inner emo white boy i don't know i like i for whatever reason maybe it's because i know cole sprouse from his cinematic work and his TV work throughout his childhood and I kind of grew up with him in my peripheral but he is killing this Jughead and if anybody disagrees please feel free to let me know and let me know why but I'm all for the Sprouse kid like he I, I his hair his look the hair the hat the body type and he's and I mentioned body type because he is much slimmer or smaller than the rest of the guys on the show. So this whole everyone's a jock and everyone's 6'5", 250 pounds, solid muscle, he looks visibly different from that, just like in the comics, where even though they are generic comics, it's always read that Jughead is this tall, wiry, slim guy with a long nose, big head, and a, hat, and a little crown hat. I'm, man, I'm all for Jughead. I want to say he's my favorite character of this episode, but I'll just say... He's my default favorite for every single episode. He's writing a novel. I write novels. He's this dark, brooding, sad, sarcastic, I don't know, loyal friend with a, I don't know, a, who's so different from the rest of the residents in Riverdale. Like, I'm, this is my Jughead appreciation rant. That's, <laughs> I'm all for it. You're doing a good job, boy. Um, <laughs> so that aside, we get to um, Cheryl, who propositions Archie in a very sexual way that, um, you know, if you, you, you know, corroborated my story of the gunshot, I want to give you whatever you want, you know, except for my body, which was weird. Like, why would, <laughs> how old are you again? Uh, 33, you grown ass woman. But um, he could, he has her convince Josie to help him with his music now this is important because of course in the first episode Josie cut into his ass and was like no nah, this ain't for you brother and um I hadn't realized even though I've seen it unfold in the last two episodes that Cheryl and Josie were such good friends like they she came up on stage at the pep rally um prior to that Cheryl made the call for the Pussycat Dolls to perform with the cheerleaders and even in the first episode they were really close but it's just like that is it doesn't feel genuine to me it doesn't feel like this is a real thing I'm going to accept it because this is what the show is telling us but I don't I don't get it it makes no sense to me that they're such close friends but this is important because this brings me to my very favorite scene out of the entire episode not of the entire show where Josie agrees to let Archie, you know, sit in on her performances or on her practices and then um he shows up and she cuts into him and she lets him know about white privilege and about <laughs> how he ain't gonna make this shit about him. Um 
what did she say? There was the comment that, um, oh shit, there was the comment that he made about, um, wanting to write music for them, and she was like, oh, uh, about us, about these brown divas, or something, you know, paraphrasing, and he's like, well, you know, I, I mean, no, but I think I can write music, and so, Archie and Valerie doing this little flirting thing, which I'm like, Valerie, leave him alone. You, you know, you don't, you don't want to do that to yourself. This is a fuck boy. Archie is a fuck boy. Period. You don't want to fuck with him. So he, um, she kind of tell him like, look, motherfucker, Riverdale, and that's another thing. She acknowledged the pink elephant in the room. She says Riverdale has come a long way, but this ain't L.A. This ain't no large city. We still are in fucking Riverdale, and we have to work twice as hard to get halfway to where you are. And um, she was like, do you know how much hate mail my mother received when she became the mayor of this town, this black woman? To his response is, centering himself in the conversation, oh, yeah, well, I voted for your mom. I campaigned for her. Nigga, that has nothing to do with nothing. That has absolutely nothing to do with nothing. And I enjoyed this exchange because it felt so real. It felt so current. It felt like what people, specifically black women, are dealing with already every day. I'm telling you my experience to educate you and you're still making it about you. No. And then the, the only part that made me feel some type of way in this scene is when Valerie tried to speak up to Josie to like lay off, don't cut into him so hard. And he's like, oh, no, no, you know, I, that's okay, Valerie. I'm, I'll listen. As if, one, why she would do that, I don't understand. And then two, as if he's given her permission to allow this other black woman to speak I don't know I could be looking too deep into it I doubt it this is the way I feel this is the way it came off um but she politely schooled him on his white privilege and she also they gave an origin story for this she um Josie says do you not know why we're called the pussycat dolls and it's because we still have to claw our way into rooms that you can just walk into she never explicitly says white privilege. She never explicitly even says a race. But it's very clear that she's talking about the white privilege that he has. Not only white privilege, the privilege of a cisgendered white male, be redhead, blonde, brunette, or whatever, to go around and do things mediocrely, if that's a word, it's a word now, um, that they have to have three times the talent to even be recognized for. And I absolutely love that oh my god Josie this is my favorite scene in this show in this episode in this entire show I'm going to search YouTube and Vimeo and everything else to see if I can't find a clip of this scene to just carry around with me all day every day these I'm so excited and I'm happy at the way these three black women are being portrayed um, and how visibly um, and then the actresses themselves and through their words and through their singing because Josie and the Pussycats is a very iconic band period if you know about Archie you know about Sabrina you know about Josie you might not know the lore and the pantheon and whatever like the, the details but if you see these properties you know something about these through some iteration and for them to be three black women who are dealing with things that black people are dealing with those of us who may work with a predominantly white staff dealing with microaggressions dealing with things like having to claw your way up 
into rooms that your white counterparts can just walk into. I thought this was expertly done and kudos to whoever wrote that scene and put it together. Um, everything. It, I, I, Josie. Josie is my favorite character this episode, hands down. And they're getting more screen time and it feels more natural. I only hope that as the show progresses, we get more influence um and more interactions with Josie and Valerie and Melanie and it's not just well that's the two-sided coin because I want to see more of them and I want them more involved in the show but at the same time they're not involved in this murderous main plot they're more or less fringe but they serve a purpose and it's a natural progression of the characters so as much as I want them in the show I'm good with them not being attached to this murder and all this other shit, but I don't know. So I'll just I'll just save my judgments at least to like episode seven and see where we are. But Josie did it for me this episode. Period. Um, let's see what else we got. Oh, a, a runner-up scene that was probably my my second favorite could have been number one if it wasn't for Josie schooling that. Oh, pale motherfucker. Um, it was the break-in. So, Ethel, Betty gets all the girls together who've been slut-shamed by the football team and sit them down and like, oh, yeah, there's a playbook where the boys write our names and they give us a score and blah, blah, whatever. And so, um, Cheryl, with her rude ass, walks in talking about, oh, boo-hoo, we're all dealing with something, and you being accused of sleeping with a football player is not as bad as me being accused of killing my brother, which, hold up, right there, you confessed. Words mean things, and the way in which you confessed was very reckless. So this whole being accused of murdering your brother, that's all on you, period. Because the, the plan, everything that was explained could have been explained better up front so that no one would accuse you of killing your brother. But she says to, to Ethel, oh, boo-hoo, we're tired of hearing about your origin story. <laughs> Which, again, is like, this show is fucking ridiculous. Why is Cheryl such an evil, mean-ass girl? But she, um, she, you know, essentially slut-shames them, too, because there's two of the River Vixens who are sitting in the room as well. And she's like, all right, sluts, <laughs> River Vixen practices, like, in five minutes or something i don't know but um veronica's like look motherfucker i'm not lying because cheryl accuses them of lying and she says and which is a very important point cheryl brings up that her brother is on the football team and she's like no this book is just suburban fiction like me and my brother talking about everything he was on the football team if it existed he would have told me and he would have never let it happen it's like he's such a main character in this damn show and he's not even around but uh, Veronica, which not even slut shaming, going to rape culture, it's like she tells her, "Well, motherfucker, I didn't know your brother. I just got here after he died, was murdered, or whatever. I'm not lying. We know Ethel ain't lying. So we gonna find this goddamn book." And uh, <laughs> so my second favorite scene is when uh, Kevin, Betty, Veronica, and Ethel break into the school, <laughs> which is like where did. This town is ridiculous. They break into the school to go and um, look for the uh, the book. Well, lo and behold, who shows up? But Cheryl's inappropriate ass. Instead of wearing black, which would help you at night to break into school, she's on this bright-ass red romper with these 
thigh-high black boots and this black leather coat. This woman is freaking ridiculous. She's trash, and I love it. So Kevin, reinforcing him being the gay character, says, Oh, and where did you get those boots? Okay, we get it. All right, Kevin, let's come up with something else. But um, they find the book, and this is where the plot turns, and it gets a little deeper, um, because in the book... Veronica, known as the new girl in the book, is given a rating of nine, and you know she has an issue with that. And Ethel's like, "Oh, well, that's better than being the big girl. I only got seven point five, which is sad as well." But we see Polly's name, and she got a nine, which doesn't matter because it's irrelevant. But Polly's name is in the book as a conquest who's been had by Jason, which kind of, for me, it helps me as proof and evidence why. Polly probably killed that man but um what also is and then the thing I like about this is that it establishes that this is something that has been going on already yes we see it happen to Veronica because she's our point of entry character but to see all those girls in a room with Ethel talking about how they were you know assaulted that's fine it didn't feel earned to me because it was just like okay one Ethel's the only one talking and two we just have these girls out of nowhere where there was no groundwork laid for this but once we see this book and it's tied heavily to veronica the new girl to ethel and then some of the other girls and polly because she's such a mysterious figure and we don't know what actually drove her to a mental institution if she's actually having emotional and mental issues or if her mom just put her there like there's so many layers to polly who hasn't even shown up yet and um so once we get this book, we see Polly's name next to Jason's. Even the mystery, the mystery, the mystery of Jason becomes more, um, uh, more rich as well. Because yes, we see him in flashbacks, but this book that caused so much drama, so much heartache and slut shaming, and this big campus cover up, all these major players are tied to it. I don't. It's just this. This episode was the best so far. Um, and Betty comes up with a plan. It's like, no, yeah, we could put this in the, the newsletter, but we got to take care of this shit for real. So that's when uh, she shows up at Pop's Chocolate Shop, the only other place in this city, and propositions um, Chuck. and was like, look, I want to be a bad girl. You know, I want you to do things to me. And like I said, the words that they use are very intentional. You don't, she never said, I want, I want us to have sex or fuck it wasn't anything vulgar like that it was just oh i want to be a bad girl and this whole veronica is a bad girl that doesn't feel earned at all she's like the sweetest fucking person on this cast like there's no there's nothing about veronica that screams to me bad girl i've done bad things even when she tells her own stories about how she was in new york she just doesn't have that edge to me she dresses up nice they put her in clothing that make her appear more mature than the rest of the cast but she is not a bad girl to me so I don't it makes no sense but um Betty invites him to Ethel's house so he can get in the hot tub he shows up Veronica's there in her little bikini she's like oh you know me and Betty decided to quit fighting over Archie and to um and to start sharing and I'm like even that's ridiculous fighting over Archie maybe he's just a dumb boy and so he just eats that up. But when in these last two episodes have Betty and Veronica been fighting over Archie? Like a lot of the stuff, I'm, I'll just say they're nitpicking for me. But it made no sense 
whatsoever. Um, this is another scene where I it fit with the story. I liked it to a certain point, but Betty comes on in her little black wig and her bra and skirt set or whatever, and she's like, "Oh well, Betty couldn't make it, so she sent me." So that's cute, but they drug Chuck. They slip something in his drink, put him in the hot tub, handcuff him to the hot tub, and record him saying that he lied about sleeping with Veronica and acknowledging the book and apologizing. And this scene really bothered me because, again, you have this black man chained to a hot tub with a white woman with her foot on his head screaming at him. And Veronica, although she is... mm, um, a woman of color, I don't know if she's Hispanic or Latin, forgive me, I'm still vaguely confused on what her ethnicity, what she is, but she still is almost white presenting, so you, all in all, you have this white as bred Betty with her foot on this man's head, humiliating him, chain him to the, and it's, it's uh I don't know I just I, that scene did not fit well with me and I don't know that's why I say I wish Chuck hadn't have been the one to be the mean asshole main villain of this two episode arc or whatever and I, I wish it had a, I honestly wish it had just been another white guy because this is I I have to be honest I had an emotional reaction watching that because it's like oh what the the fuck him and there's no comparing actual literal rape culture and slut shaming to what they did to him but in the context of the show and the characters playing these people in the show I just that I feel like that was a misstep I just uh, then you have Ethel with her big head ass peeking out through the doors watching this happen with this big smile on her face and it's just like what what is going on here like if this was another time another place maybe this would have made sense i still wouldn't like it but he should have been a white character that's i personally feel like chuck should have been a white character or there should have been a white character in in that particular um situation or they could have just made the the conflict something different but equally as serious so eh, whatever but during this time she's yelling at him like apologize to me apologize to what you did to Polly Jason and this and that and Veronica's like bitch what the fuck are you doing that's not Jason you not Polly that's so when she confronts her later on after they print the story she's like oh well I'm just tired of people like him doing things to me you and girls like Polly and I'm like no is no one going to address that there is something very very wrong with Betty there's something going on with her that she's not dealing with and I blame her mom because it it seems like she should be able to it seems as if she hasn't been able to come to terms with her sister being locked up and we're going to assume that they were close and her mom being as crazy as she is is not allowing for Betty to have the closure or the um, um, peace of mind that will come with knowing either details or just that your sibling is okay it's just the two of y'all so i don't know there's there's something going on there and i just know that betty is going to flip out in one of these upcoming episodes and the way her mom acts 
I wouldn't be surprised if she knock her mama to the ground and leave how leave the house. Um, one other scene. Oh, the taste. Now, I will say, <laughs> Riverdale is a predominantly white town. It's a little upper upstate New York town, whatever. This mayor, Robin Gibbons, brings her ass into Riverdale, becomes the mayor, and does one of the blackest things ever. She creates the first annual taste of Riverdale. Now, in my head, (laughs) I remember all the times my mother and her friends, and my aunts and their friends, and my uncles and they homeboys, and all this and that, everyone went to, like, the Taste of Chicago, or they went down to New Orleans for the Essence Festival. (laughs) And when they said the taste of Riverdale and it was the first annual, all I could think is Robin Givens then brought her black ass into Riverdale and was like, oh no, this will not do. I need to bring something into this boring ass town because if the main source of entertainment is these football uh, football games every week, that's not enough. So she hosts the taste of Riverdale, which is, <laughs> I don't know, it's where Josie and uh, the Pussycats perform their song. But at the taste, Fred, Archie's dad, um, after arguing with his son, like, okay, nigga, you keep sneaking into this house. You, I'm done with you. And he's, Archie's like, oh, well, dad, I was um, working with Josie about this song, and I know I'm grounded for two weeks, but can I please um, go and listen to the song? He's like, no. And I'm, I'm inclined to be on Fred side because yes you're my child you're going you're disobeying me so no I'm not going to allow you to do these things you want to do at the same time like Archie said you got to deal with that because if I was going to a football game that night you would have no problem with me getting a break from this punishment but because I want to work on my art and music something that you don't respect now it's an issue and I'm like shit your dad ain't punched you in the mouth like but and I just I expected for them to get the fighting right there but they didn't and he made an impression on his dad so at the taste of chicago aka taste of riverdale um archie's dad talks to grundy and is like yeah you're the music teacher you know does my son have a chance in music she's like yeah like and if he doesn't he's a gifted child why not at least let him try and so that makes him like oh, okay well i'll let him and i thought they were going to set up fred and grundy kind of you know starting a little romantic something but hell we don't know if Grundy even likes grown men so ugh, I don't know um also this is another scene that made me just wash my hands with mommy dearest her bitter angry ass goes up to um Penelope and what's her name I don't know Cheryl's parents the Blossoms and uh asks them for a quick little interview and what does Penelope do? She reaches back to 1943 or whenever the Archie comics first were printed. And she brings that fist forward and knocks that motherfucker the hell out. She's like, Alice, bitch, do you know how hard it is that I've seen my son all top, like the details of his death in the paper? And that's, I'm just like, you can hate the Blossoms. I have no reason to. They haven't been presented in any way other than two silently wealthy parents who are just trying to take care of their kids but Alice evil ass on the other hand has had this vendetta against them and their son forever and it's like there's what could he have possibly done to Polly and even if there's something he's done what are you doing you are an adult like you are acting recklessly 
journalistic integrity or not like you are being a horrible ass person so i don't know maybe penelope got me to think with my emotions but i am off that alice cooper train like she's a evil little bitter motherfucker um after she get punched in the face she finds herself at the i don't know quiche table some table at the taste of chicago where um veronica's mom is and her and Fred was talking and then he talked to Grundy and this motherfucker come over and she drinks some like milkshake thing and she's like oh well you need to look at your daughter you know she's been slut shamed cause that's what they do to sluts and this and that going and I'm like these are children you were talking about like all this them being 35 aside in this show these are children and you are <laughs> you are a horrible person so again kudos to the writers and kudos to that actress because I'm, I can't fuck with her but she's doing her job and being that consistent silent villain she is a bad motherfucker that's why I want to put her at the top of the list for my pick of who killed Jason but then I'm like I don't know if her actions make her too obvious of an answer and I don't want I don't want to do that um so we get to the last scene where of course like any other good self-respecting show we're going to get our plot twist of this episode our cliffhanger Dilton is sitting in the office of the blue and gold newspaper with Betty and with Jughead and he says look I'm a teenager if you print that I had that gun that I shot the gun I could be charged with a misdemeanor I could be kicked out of the Eagle Scouts and that could fuck up me going to college and this and that so I kind of feel for him because I get I halfway get it but you also did shoot a gun around a bunch of kids so what so he says look I got something better. I got something that the police don't even know. If you promise me you keep my gun shooting out of the paper, I'll give you this detail. So Betty, of course, is like, oh, okay, yeah, what is it? Not even questioning. Well, motherfucker, what is it first? Is it true? Like, you could be lying to us. That's what I'm thinking. Like, he could be telling you a lie, and then you just print the lie, and then he's off scot-free. But he says, look, I wasn't the only person at the River's Edge that day. I saw Mrs. Grundy's car, which, to all of you who've been following the story as it unfolds, Grundy and Archie were having their PC love fest at the River's Edge now that his dumbass then went forward on his own and told that he was there and hadn't told on Grundy. Now it's going to get back that she was there with him when they started investigating. Well, Archie said he was at the River's Edge. We know Cheryl washed up on the shore. We know Dilton was with his Eagle Scouts. What the fuck was you doing there? So I'm, I'm just I, I'm ready to see this unfold. So um, let me see. Favorite character of this particular episode goes to uh, Josie, number one, and Jughead as that consistent honorary z- number zero. I don't know, whatever. My favorite scene is the schooling that Josie gave Mr. Andrews Archie Andrews if you're nasty like law motherfucker you are more privileged than we will ever be so no you don't get to dictate what we do um, with a close second being that break in I love that break in that was, that was a good, good scene too and finally who killed Jason Blossom let's see Looking at all the evidence that I've compiled here through all my investigative journalism, 
um, SVU watching and, and law and orderness that I've seen over the years, I come to conclude that it could be none other than Polly Cooper. <laughs> That's my number one is Polly because I feel like if Jason had was going to fake his own death and run away and have his own life, Polly is the only woman he's been tied to or the only romantic love interest he's had in this entire show I'd have to believe that there's 50-50 that if you're going to run away for good you would do it with either by yourself or with the person you are in love with or have a relationship with and we don't know much about Polly being in the mental house excuse me mental institution so who's to say that she hasn't broke out herself who's to say that they didn't run away together or they didn't have a plan to um, that being said, who's to say she didn't kill him? Who's to say he didn't show up and say, okay, I come to see you one last time because I'm going to go off and fake my death and live my own life. And if she's so intensely into him as she has been portrayed to be, who's to say she didn't go crazy and just kill him because of it? Like, maybe he had been visiting her consistently and now if he's going to run away, he'll no longer be there and she went crazy and killed him. Or this could just be my overactive imagination, but... Polly is my number one now. Um, Cheryl is taken completely off the table. She's proven herself. Um, number two is Mommy Dears. She is the obvious choice. She has like the most to lose or the biggest motive, and I hate that, but I, I don't want to make it her. I make it a 50-50 for her because she's such an obvious choice. She could very well just be wrong, and it'll probably be like somebody like Jughead killed them. It's the person you least expect. But uh, my number one is Polly, my number two is Mommy Dearest, and my number three, surprisingly, is Penelope and Dad, I forget his name, but the Blossom's parents. Because now my mind is thinking that if he's faked his own death and he was going to run away, either there's something going on at the house or they, f fuck the reasons why he's doing it, the very fact that he's doing it, his parents may have... I don't know, went after him and, and, and killed him. There may have been a fight. There may have been a struggle. It may have been to accidentally have shot him in the head. Like, there's... Now I feel like the parents are the most least... the least likely to have done it. So for some reason, that makes them more likely to me. Which is odd because that's the inverse of my feelings about Mommy Dearest. But number one is Polly. Number two with a 50-50 is Mommy Dears. Number three is Mr. and Mrs. Blossom. I don't really have a number four, but just for four's sake, um, I'll say Jughead, because he's the least likely character out of everybody. Well, aside from Veronica, who didn't live there, but hell, what if Veronica did it? <laughs> what if she shot him and then moved it? <laughs> no, but for real, uh, Polly, Mommy Dears, and then Mommy and Daddy Blossom. So, uh, <laughs> this concludes the third installment of Welcome to Riverdale. Um, I will invite you all to meet me back here next week and we can discuss my feelings on the next episode <laughs> of Riverdale, the CW's most uh, interesting ass show. Um, so, until then, stay carefree, stay preppy. And stay the hell out of Mr. Weatherby's office because apparently anybody who walks in there and sits down is going to get in trouble or be accused of Jason Blossom's murder. So, <laughs> see you next week for the next installment of Welcome to Riverdale.